You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. One of the things a number of us are doing as a leadership team is we're, over the last number of weeks, getting together and uh, sort of reevaluating what's important to us as a church. And one of the things we've determined is worship. And, uh, yeah, that's one of our, one of our high values. And um, Andy started last week talking about belief, the priceless gift, and we, uh, we value the scriptures. We believe the Bible, the word of, the word of God, and um, having faith in what the Bible tells us we think is, is important. But um, I was thinking, too, about the gospel, just the simple gospel, and I was thinking about what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5. He said, Moreover, brethren, I declare, declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. And so what I want to talk about this morning, I want to continue this idea of, of believing, of faith. And I want to start with John um, 20, verse 31. So I'm calling this this morning a phrase from this verse we'll read that you might believe. Why don't you say that with me? That you might believe. Um, John 20, verse 31 reads this way. But all that is recorded here is so that you will fully believe that Jesus is the anointed one, the Son of God, and through your faith in him, you will experience eternal life by the power of his name. And so we see in John's gospel that his primary intention was to inspire people to fully believe, or another translation says to never stop believing that Jesus is the one God promised to send. He's the king. He's Lord of all. And John wrote, and John knew, and John experienced, and John saw that when people really believe in Jesus, they experience um, a life force like no other. Faith brings an experience. Always? Well, maybe not always. I know some people have had encounters with the Lord where they really believed, and the absence of an experience sort of shocked them, but they found out later something very primary and significant had happened. So everybody's experience isn't the same. Nevertheless, John said, through faith in him, you will experience eternal life. So, faith brings an experience. John called it eternal life. And when you talk about experiencing something, you, you talk about feeling something, you talk about sensing something, you undergo something. And um, maybe not always, but 
biblical belief according to John results in experiencing eternal life. And we think about eternal life, we sort of, a lot of people think heaven when we die. But the word eternal is talking as much about quality of life as it is length of life. There's a quality of life that touches you as you believe. Just as John reported, his gospel and each of the others were written by people who had intimate knowledge, personal relationship with Jesus both before and after his resurrection. And their testimony was so powerful that, quote, the faith, unquote, spread throughout the Roman Empire at an amazingly rapid rate. The faith the earliest believers experienced made them fearless, made them loving in societies where loving one another was not the norm. Uh, You read records that when people would have babies that they didn't want, they would put the babies out in the street. They knew Christians would take those babies in and love them because that's the level of love that they had. But the gospel spread like wildfire. And one of the reasons it did, it was begun by people who had seen Jesus alive from the dead. They had an encounter with the living Jesus. They had an encounter by the Holy Spirit where they knew what they knew. No matter how senseless and crazy and ridiculous it seemed or sounded, it was so real and they could so um, uh, communicate it that... People who had never seen him and believed in him had similar experiences. Their life would change. Something was different. Maybe they couldn't put it into words, but something had changed them. Rather, someone had changed them. Are you listening? But Jesus was alive and real to them. In thinking about uh, the Apostle Paul, Paul experienced Jesus on the Damascus Road. I think that's in Acts 9. That's when um, Paul, as an angry, bitter, Bible says he was full of rage and anger against Christians in a single moment in time on his horse, on his way to Damascus to arrest Jews who believed in Jesus. Jesus appeared to him as a bright light, knocked him off his horse, blinded him for three days, and I believe the Lord said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus and his people were so interconnected, Jesus said to Saul of Tarsus, why are you persecuting me? Immediately afterwards, he became a disciple. He changed from one persecuting the faith to one of its strongest adherents. He had trouble getting Jews to, uh, you know, Christian Jews to believe that he had really been changed because he had been so adamantly against the faith. Years later, you read some of the things Paul wrote with his emphasis on faith. In 2 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech, or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. I don't know if you realize this, but Paul was a genius. Paul was, quote, the smartest man in the room. How many of you have ever met the smartest man in the room? 
How many of you think you're the smartest man in the room? <laughs> yeah, well, the smartest man in the room is smart enough not to admit it. So, No, but he was. He was a genius. He had incredible mental, intuitive capacities. But when he went to Corinth, he said, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And, and I thought, why crucified? Why not resurrected? And it's because the crucifixion was such a horrible, horrible thing. And to base a brand new faith on that absolutely bankrupted your reason because it didn't make any sense. But Paul also knew that when Christ died, he died for all. When Christ died, he became sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God. So there's a whole lot in that statement. But Paul says, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. The smartest man in the room said, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And that's a remarkable statement. So many people have been enticed away from simple faith into what I would call the wisdom of men, not the simple gospel, something else. Part of my personal testimony, I've told uh, part of it, but I grew up in a Reformed Presbyterian church. Um, I don't know, fifth, sixth generation, seventh generation, Reformed Presbyterian. Can you tell? I'm joking. But in my early college years, I had a powerful encounter with Jesus. Um, I had a girlfriend in high school when I went to college. We were still connected or related there for a while. I went home one day during, I think it was uh, maybe Christmas break, and she took me to this evangelistic crusade at West Mecklenburg High School Auditorium. That was actually when you could hear the gospel in the public school system. And I couldn't tell you the exact message the speaker gave, only that it was very powerful but simple gospel. But I was touched by the power of God in such a way that I was changed. I'd grown up in a church. I'd already expressed faith in Christ, and that was real. But that night I experienced the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that turned my life upside down. God touched me physically, God touched me emotionally, but it was deeper, it was deeper than that. I remember responding to, uh, to the message and being up front. Next thing I knew, I was literally on the floor in a heat, broken. Just com- I mean, I, I think so much about what, what Laura was testifying to this morning. I mean, God wants to touch us. It, it, not just cerebral, not just mind or mental, but something deeper than that, something that is transformative. But I didn't even understand what happened. How many of you ever had a, I don't know what that was, experience? I've had several of them. But I remember going home that night, and I went to, uh, I didn't, I wanted to tell my mom and dad about what had happened. Of course, they brought me up in the church, so what I told them, they didn't really understand. 
But I was just telling them what happened. They were laying in bed reading the paper. Man, uh, I was sitting on this uh, little footstool down there telling them. And uh, they just were looking at me, wondering, oh, no, (laughs) what is this? And finally, my dad said, uh, well, if you're going to get caught somewhere, church is as good a place as any. That was, that was my dad's response. And I mean, that was his honest response. So. But honestly, it took me a number of years to understand what had happened because I'd never had something happen to me like that, particularly in the church I grew up in. And I'm not dissing that church. It's just that wasn't what went on there. Faith went on there, but not this kind that I had experienced. And all I knew, though, was that God was real, and I had met Jesus again in a real way. And I couldn't explain. How do you explain something like that? Um, but really, it, 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 has, it has affected me ever since. Ever since. God's real. Jesus is alive. The Holy Spirit is just so available to to touch us. I woke up the other day. (laughs) I don't know if you realize this, but we have a very tricky enemy. And the first thought in my mind was, I can't remember the last day I was happy. And then I thought, wait a minute, that's not right. (laughs) I mean, you know, every dog has his day, right? But I thought, wait a minute, where did that come from? And the Lord reminded me that our joy, our peace is in us, in Christ. It's in us. We don't have to look for it to come from outside of us. You know you have a joy place inside as a believer? Yes. You have a peace place inside as a believer? But we all have our doubts, and I'm going to talk a little about poor old Thomas. How do people think of Thomas when they think of Thomas the Apostle? Doubting Thomas. Um, But Jesus put an emphasis on believing without seeing, and that it has a greater blessing than people who have actually seen, say, like Thomas actually saw Jesus. But let me read this. John 20, 26, Jesus was alive. He began to initiate contact with his disciples. And so I read this. Eight days later, Thomas, but Thomas didn't believe. Eight days later, Thomas and all the others were in the house together. And even though all the doors were locked, Jesus suddenly stood before them. Peace to you, he said. Then looking into Thomas's eyes, he said, put your finger here in the wounds of my hands. Here, put your hand into my wounded side and see for yourself. And listen to what Jesus told Thomas. Thomas, don't give in to your doubts any longer. Just believe. Let me say that again. Don't give in to your doubts any longer. Just believe. And this this gives us the um, the idea or the truth that 
there's a decision-making process as part of your faith. It's not entirely emotional or feeling or sensory, but there's a decision aspect. And Jesus would say to Thomas, don't give in to your doubts any longer. Just believe. Then the word spilled out of his heart. Thomas said, you are my Lord and you are my God. And Jesus responded, Thomas, now that you've seen me, you believe. And I don't believe that was a rebuke. I just believe Jesus was stating the facts. But then he said, but there are those who have never seen me with their eyes, but have believed in me with their hearts, and they will be blessed even more. couple of things. When we read through this portion, I, when I, you listen to the portion I just read in verse 26, it says the doors were locked. Even after the resurrection, the apostles were afraid. Even after the resurrection, almost all of them did not believe in the resurrection, even though Jesus plainly told them over and again that he would be crucified and he would be raised on the third day. So, if you've struggled with your faith, let me tell you something. Even great apostles sometimes struggled with their faith. And so the fact that you may struggle is not evidence that you shouldn't believe. It's just part of a process to fully refine and to fully determine what quality of faith you actually have. And then I thought again, Thomas, don't give in to your doubts any longer, as I mentioned. You can resist doubt. You can be determined. You can make a decision. And many times, you may have to make a simple decision not to waffle any longer. How many of you are listening to me? You may just have to say, ah, no, no more. I made a decision. I made a choice. I'm a believer. I'm a believer. One of the ingredients of real faith is in you deciding to believe. And verse 29, there are those who've never seen me with their eyes but have believed in me with their hearts, and they will be blessed even more. So Jesus puts, if you can say it this way, he puts a higher value on the faith people have in him who have never had the experiences or seen him alive in the natural like the apostles had. I heard this Baptist comedian say, all you Pentecostals, you get miracles all the time. Us Baptists never get them, but that means our faith is stronger than yours because we believe and we haven't seen. So anyway, interesting. Now, that is the purpose of the testimony of the gospel is to declare to people the reality of Jesus, the reality of God. But there can be hindrances. Any of you ever had a hindrance to your faith? Oh, my. Mark 16, 1 through 4. I'll tell you what, I just love the, the gospel accounts of um, 
it's probably, it was probably three different women named Mary, if you really study the scripture closely. Mary, mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and Salome, which was a cousin of Mary's who was probably named Mary as well. So it's very interesting, these, the accounts of the ladies that went to the tomb to embalm Jesus. How much faith did they have to go embalm Jesus? You ever thought about that? Well, enough to go. Maybe not enough to believe everything they should, but they went. I mean, they were still devout. devout. So in Mark 16, it says this, On the first day of the week, as the Sabbath was ending, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jacob, and Salome made their way to the tomb. It was very early in the morning as the first streaks of light were beginning to be seen in the sky. They had purchased aromatic embalming spices so they might, that they might anoint Jesus' body. And they had been asking one another, who can roll away the heavy stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? So what was their question? Who can roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb? I don't know if you know this, but When they had tombs and rocks, they would dig a gully in front of it and roll a big, heavy stone to seal off off the tomb. So they were thinking, how are we going to get in? But when they arrived, they discovered that the very large stone that had sealed the tomb was already rolled away. So these devoted women, on their way to embalm the lifeless body of Jesus... But they had one problem as far as they imagined it. How would they roll away the huge stone that sealed Jesus' tomb? Now, what Mark's gospel doesn't tell you, and it's why it's so intriguing to read parallel parallel gospels about the same story. What Mark's gospel doesn't tell you, Matthew's gospel does in chapter 28. Because Mark's gospel, the shortest gospel, is really an abbreviated story. Luke, John, Matthew go into more detail. After arriving at the tomb, these ladies witnessed the angel of the Lord come with ground-shaking force, with lightning flashed around him, dressed in a brilliant white garment. And the Bible says the guards were struck motionless to the ground as though they were dead as the angel walked up to the stone, moved it aside, and sat on top of it. So that's why the stone was rolled away. But this is a picture, their concern about the stone is a picture of a hindrance of faith. It was an obstacle that only existed in their minds. And as we move forward in faith, we're going to discover that there are hindrances to our faith that God has already taken care of. Who can roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? Well, not only had the stone been rolled away, but the one they assumed was dead was not dead, but he was alive. So they had basic assumptions that affected the way they behaved, the way they thought, the way they feel that were inaccurate, that was hindering them having believed the words they had heard from Jesus' mouth over the three years before his crucifixion. As we gain experience in the Lord, here's what we learn. We learn to believe even in the face of contradictions, disappointments, and these hindrances. Because not every problem's a problem. 
Just because you think a problem is a problem means it's a problem to you, but it's not a problem if it doesn't exist. But as far as your concern and the way you live and the way you think and the way you feel, it is a problem, but you're wrong. Because some problems aren't problems at all. Not every problem's a problem. But your imagination, your presumption, based on your anxiety, can create, create hindrances to your faith, believing these things are real when they're vapors. They're not there. And that's what faith is for. To give us peace and joy when it looks like we should doubt instead. Many times the thing we worry about, God has already taken care of. Can I say that again? Sure, Robin, go right ahead. Many times the thing we worry about, God has already taken care of. I mean, can you imagine if everything came to pass that we were afraid was going to happen? But that should teach us something. Our fears very rarely tell us an accurate truth or picture. And it's one of our adversary's primary ways of dislocating us from Jesus when you can't be dislocated from Jesus. There's no distance between us and Jesus because he's not even outside. He's inside of us. There's no distance. There's only perceived distance. Many of the things we worry about, God has already taken care of. This is a great truth, and it's true on levels more profound than we can ever grasp mentally or intellectually. Another word for that kind of faith is trust. Here's a question. Do you have a stone that needs to be rolled away before you believe? It's been rolled away. Believe. If you can hear it. Let me say that again. If you can hear it, and that is how faith comes. Faith comes by hearing. The great apostle wrote in the book of Romans. Faith comes by hearing. God has rolled away every hindrance to believing. You can have a vibrant faith. Listen, you can have a vibrant faith. Listen to me. You can have a vibrant faith. Your faith can be real. Your faith can be alive. Your faith can be active. Your faith can be contagious. You can have a vibrant faith. You, listen, listen. You can have a vibrant faith. And why am I saying this over and over? Because of the war that goes on in our minds. The hindrances, the concepts, the ideas, the philosophies, the reasoning. But listen, you can have a vibrant faith. You can have a vibrant faith that's contagious. That transforms you and those around you. Thomas, don't give in to your doubts any longer. Just believe. <clears throat> good news and bad news. Our faith will be tried. Well, it's good news if you're in a trial of your faith because it means there's a norm to it. It might be a bad news if you didn't realize you can have them. <laughs> but no. We must realize that even though we can have powerful experiences with God, our faith is going to be tested over time. And it's important that our faith is tried to determine the quality and the reliability 
How many of you think these last nine months have been strange? Peter said, beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. So there's an end to the trial for believers that releases a level of joy we don't normally experience. We don't need to seek trials. But they come. How many of you know that's true? And it's not some strange thing that we somehow deserved or maybe caused to happen. But if we don't understand that trials will come, we aren't fully prepared to live out our faith. And Peter talks about our faith being much more precious than gold, though it is tested by fire. How many of you have been tested? How many of you have been tested? How many of you wondered and questioned and queried and pondered and ruminated? <laughs> well, you can have a vibrant faith. You can. Emotions and feelings. They can betray us. How many of you realize your emotions and your feelings about your faith can betray you? But there's also a great truth that our feelings and our emotions are often connected to what we truly believe. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let, let me read that again. Paul's prayer. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in what? In believing. Where does your joy and peace develop? Where does hope grow? In believing. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's a relationship. There's a relationship between your joy and your peace that comes from, from believing. I'm going to close out with another look at one of the Gospels. This is the Luke portion um, that we've already looked at in um, John and Mark. These dear ladies, very early that Sunday morning, the women made their way to the tomb carrying the spices they had prepared. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, Jesus' mother. Arriving at the tomb, they discovered that the huge stone covering the entrance had been rolled aside, so they went in to look, but the tomb was empty. The body of Jesus was gone. They stood there stunned and perplexed. Suddenly, two men in dazzling white robes Shining like lightning appeared above them. Terrified. How many of you would be terrified at that point? I think I would be classified as terrified at that point. Terrified, the women fell to the ground on their faces. The men in white said to them, Why would you look for the living one in a tomb? He's not here for he has risen. Verse 6, listen to these three words. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten what he said to you while he was still in Galilee? The Son of Man is destined to be handed over to sinful men, to be nailed to a cross, and on the third day he will rise again. All at once, 
Listen to these four words. They remembered his words. They remembered his words. Leaving the tomb, they went to break the news to the eleven and to all the others of what they had seen and heard. And when the disciples heard the testimony of women, the women, it made no sense. And they were unable to believe what they heard. The Matthew version of this same portion describes the reaction of these ladies this way. They rushed quickly to tell the disciples and their hearts were deep in wonder and filled with great joy. Let me remind you what verse 6 said that I read. Have you forgotten what he said to you? That was the question the angel asked. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten what he said to you? And let me remind you of what suddenly happened to them in verse 8. They remembered his words. And when they did, they were filled with great joy. Forget his words, despair. Remember his words, energy, strength, life, testimony. I don't generally believe in faith formulas, but let me give you one anyway. This will really help you, and it's very general. Forget his words, be sad. Remember his words, be glad. It's simple. Remember his words, happy. Forget his words, unhappy. Remember his words, happy. Forget his words, sad. In another place, Paul would say that he feared for a certain group of people because they had lost the simplicity, the simplicity of the gospel of Christ. Amen, amen. All right. That's what I have to say this morning. How many of you would like to just simply ask the Lord for our faith to be renewed? Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we stand together and pray? Lord, you reminded... You reminded the early disciples who had the benefit that we didn't have of walking with you, talking with you, hearing from you one-on-one through all kind of dangerous situations, through all kind of exciting situations, through miracles, through hardship. They heard your words. And even those amazing men and women and even the teenagers and the children forgot some of the things that you had told them that were life-changing. Lord, remind us again of who you are. Remind us again of what you've done for us. And remind us again of what you've done in us. And we just ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be more and more in our lives and in our experience. Thank you. Thank you for Queen City Church, Lord. Thank you for everything you've done over the years. But increase our faith. Let us hear and believe. In Jesus' name, amen. 
been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.